Welcome to the Possibility Podcast. I'm Mel Schwartz, your host and thought provocateur. I've been practicing psychotherapy for well over 20 years. During that time, I've been so fortunate to witness countless breakthroughs while working with people, whether one-on-one, as a speaker, in professional trainings, or in workshops. The insights that I've garnered have inspired me to write over a hundred articles and several books, including the companion title to this podcast, The Possibility Principle, which you can find wherever books are sold. On this and every episode, I'll be introducing new ways of thinking, relating, and communicating to help you truly thrive in your life, to reach the possibilities that you may long for. Think of this as a new game plan for living. Thanks for enjoying my emerging community of possibility seekers, and I hope you enjoy the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this new bonus episode just recorded the day after Election Day with Paul Samuel Dolman. At the time of this recording, the results of the election hang in the balance, and Paul and I move deeply underneath the political divide as we explore what happens when there's a loss of critical thinking, when our beliefs become our truths, and a greater consequence, what I call a dystopian consequence, of what might happen when lies are unpunished and we live in a world in which truth and facts no longer have any meaning or impact in our lives. A frightening concept, but one absolutely necessary to be explored. Thank you, and I hope you enjoyed the show. Welcome back to What Matters Most. I am talking today to one of my favorite guests and a dear friend. He wrote an incredible book called The Possibility Principle. He's also a therapist. He coaches It's a long list, but we want to get right to him. So welcome back, one of our uh, Hall of Fame guests, Mr. Mel Schwartz. Paul, I'm excited to be here with you at this moment in time. And what a moment. Here we are, November 4th. What are your feelings over, one, over what the campaign looked like to you, and then, of course, the election day, and now up to this moment, just your take, your opinion, your feelings. You have a few hours? Ha ha, there you go, yeah. <laughs> I do for you. You know, on, on a very superficial, visceral level, I fell asleep last night at 10.30 or 11. Of course, was immediately disappointed not to win Florida. I woke up at 2 and turned on the TV, and there was our president, so to speak, declaring victory and asserting fraud. And when I looked at the data at 2, I became sick to my stomach. I woke up again at 6.30 feeling like, oh, we may eke this out. So there's both at this moment in time relief and disappointment. But I'll tell you, my my takeaways, Paul, are it's incongruous to me that 50% of people who voted would vote for the greatest narcissist, con artist, pathological liar, self-interested human being, racist, xenophobe, opportunist. 
that, so you know that common expression um, we used to hear President Obama say, it's not who we are. Well, it apparently is who we are. It's half of who we are. So as you know, I try to go much deeper and understand what's really operating for people on deeper levels. I, I believe I've done podcasts and written articles about the fact that people don't choose in elections or in many areas of life based upon facts, policies, objectivity. They operate from deep, visceral emotions, which are unconscious. And I think that that is what has occurred in this country, but we're not the country that we think we are. Because arguably, if half of us voted for an individual who is clearly a racist, has no concern for human life, we see his open air rallies and, and indoor rallies in the midst of COVID, has no compassion, never offers condolences to anyone, and people vote for him and he has no interest in them. So why do they vote for him? Because he's attracting something in deep buried within them in what Carl Jung called the shadow, which speaks to them. Well, they're not aware of it. But how tragically sad for the world and for our country that this is how we operate, Paul. What are your thoughts? Wow. If I could say it that well, I would echo that. And I was sitting there shaking my head. I had almost identical feelings. I did go to bed early, and then I woke up at 4.44, and I looked at the computer, and I just just watched and I just pondered this. And then I read a couple things. And one thing that really shocked me is in areas where the COVID deaths were the highest, his support expanded. And it just defied anything, but it's not logical. There's so much racism and hate. I know we have a 400 year history of it, at least. I don't have to tell my friends of color who listen or the great guests we've had. It's just, it still boggles the mind that after a four year sample size, 25,000 lives at least, just running the country in the ground on every level, world opinion just plummeting. No interest in the pandemic, the only country in the world that's not even really trying, that people would go back and say, yeah, I want more of this. I think there's some Stockholm syndrome. I wonder how many people had a horrible father. But all of that aside, it's still shocking. I guess maybe if I had been at the Jim Jones cult and watched it in a sort of an objective, I might have thought, what are these people doing? I think about it sometimes. The people that I know who were deep in cults or Scientology or used to follow the Bag- Bogdan or whatever he was called, the Blessed One with the Rolls Royces before he went to jail. I had hoped we were arcing the moral arc of history was going in the right direction. I have lost that hope. And I just... While my life is unbelievable and it's my circle, my heart breaks for the many who not just voted for him, but for those who suffer the wrath, the least, the vulnerable, the poor, and that this is our country. And I didn't realize I really loved the home team this much, but I guess I did. And that was sobering for me. I sometimes wonder if I might want to just move to a more conscious place, not a better place, just where people maybe have higher levels of consciousness. They read more. They 
are more community-oriented. They're quieter in terms of their nationalism, if a place exists. I think there are places like that. So it's still sobering. I'll tell you what I did today, too, Mel, is I completely took a holiday from all the news, texted a few key friends, and said, if anything big happens, let me know. So I've been getting updates but I'm not sitting there watching it. I spent 99% of the day outside on my bike, went to the beach, and had a great day. It's because I, I just needed the mental break. But underneath it all, I feel a, a deep sadness. I was called last evening, just before results were coming in, for an interview by a major magazine. And they wanted to discuss with me the loss of empathy and compassion in this country. And... The way my mind operates is I, I try to look at the deeper undercurrents that are informing the manifestations and the symptoms that we deal with. And I was proposing that a worldview, which is a competitive dog-eat-dog worldview, which leads to intense individualism and competition and self-interest, that's a worldview which would have us plunder the planet and render it inhospitable, if not unlivable. It's a worldview that leads to incredible greed, not just financial greed, but narcissistic greed, lack of caring. It's a worldview that in a way speaks, and I'm not going to generalize about the American public because I'm going to share my bias. Here's my bias. You know, I'm not a wealthy individual, I do very well, but I'm fully prepared to pay more taxes if it's for the common good. That's a worldview of empathy, connection, and compassion. Whereas I know individuals with insane amounts of wealth who will vote according to whomever is going to offer them the lowest income tax rates. In other words, it's the self-interest. In some cases, I've heard these individuals say, I don't like Trump. I don't like his lying. I don't like his policies. But I've worked hard to attain my wealth, and I want to secure it for my grandchildren. And my response has been, well, but do you care what kind of world your grandchildren live in? Do you want them to live in a, in a world that's dystopian? with violence and civil strife, with a planet that's uninhabitable. What kind of world do you want them to live in? Is the maintaining of your half a billion dollars the key to happiness? Where's the balance? So as you know, Paul, in my book, The Possibility Principle, I speak to worldviews. So we operate from the old worldview of extreme individualism, Everything being separate from everything else. Winning is what matters. But there's this new emerging worldview, which is spiritual and scientifically based, coming from quantum physics, which is one of inseparability. Everything is part of the entire same whole. Now, that worldview fosters compassion and empathy and nurturing, because if I care for you, you're part of me. We're part of the same whole. The United States and its motif of a rugged individualism has unraveled to the place that we are in now, in my opinion. And I was asked in this interview, what would change it? I would say shifting worldviews, which would begin with education. 
and teaching a whole new theme of reality. Because as we see reality operating, so we act. If we see reality as intense, competitive, winner and loser, so we act. If we see reality as interconnected and one is wholeness, so we act. And so I think that for the majority of those who voted for Trump, they operate in that intense competitive thing or a sense of degradation. But Paul, there's something that gives me far greater concern, which I know I've touched on with you. My concern is that the genie that is out of the bottle is that we are moving into a reality-free world. We're moving into a nightmarish scenario of living in a factless and truthless existence. And the predicate, the premise of truth, is at the core of relationship, commerce, business, government. It's at the core of everything. Now, we've just endured four years of a president who they calculate his lie 23,000 times. At two in the morning last night, he got on the air at two in the morning, Eastern Daylight Time. He said, I won. Lie. He said, bringing lawsuits, bad things happening. Lie. May prove to be true, but he didn't have that data. So what happens in the world where truth no longer matters? There was a time not too long ago when a politician was caught in a bold-faced lie. There was a price to pay. Remember Governor Sanford having an affair and not being where he said he had to resign in disgrace. Now, there's no consequence to lying. Think of the ripple effect of that. You can no longer tell children, you have to tell the truth. That's not the culture they're living in. My thought is that unless we can restore the value of truth, of facts, then civilization as a whole evaporates. I see it as important as global warming and what we're facing now. And I think we need to explore it, address it, and that has to be our largest urgency as to how do we restore some semblance of truth. I would agree with you too, because if you don't have factual basis, you can't address global warming, climate change, anything, because you have no basis for which to move forward. You, you are floating through space in an abstract and you are an expert with language. How much of this is the fact that our corporate media just hates to call it a lie and goes for the horse race and the both sidesism? Feels like they're announcing a or, or covering a beauty pageant, you know, or a dog race, literally. And or in fact that there was false, uh, spoke falsely, misspoke. Um, you know, they soft soak this, tacit this that they hate. They hate to just say, oh, that's a complete lie. What a farce. That never happened. And it just, they'd rather have the ratings. And as long as they can keep everyone intact, even if they destroy the country, they could still end up on Dancing with the Stars and selling Pfizer drugs. I recall that perhaps for the first year of the Trump administration, they would say, that's not true. Or that may not be true. It took until the second year for what we'll call the liberal media 
to be able to say that's a lie. Now, of course, Fox News and Sinclair News are very comfortable saying that. But I'm speaking about the fact that I think to establish, reestablish the meme of truth, we need to do something very fundamental. I, I wrote an article some time ago, which I didn't publish, but I think I will. And it's called, I Swear to Tell the Truth. And it goes like this. What if every time a politician wins an election and takes office in the United States, they have to raise their hand and swear to tell the truth just as though they're in the courtroom for the entire term of their election? And if they knowingly lie, that's perjury, and they lose office. And I mean knowingly lie. So when I'm speaking about facts, look, we have different beliefs and different opinions. That's natural. But if my belief is informed by a lie, then I shouldn't be entitled to that belief. So imagine if every politician in our country actually couldn't knowingly lie without a severe consequence. Imagine if we're watching TV, what, what is the thing that screens under the picture? Is that called a chyron? Imagine if there was immediate fact-checking by impartial observers, and there were chyrons. True, not true, marginally true. We have to establish truth with consequences for not lying. Otherwise, there's nothing we can do. So to that end, I've been thinking about and begun talking with people, and I've mentioned this to you. I would like to announce to all your listeners, and I fully hope and anticipate that you will partner with me in this, that we can establish a Zoom forum, a Zoom conference, where we explore this most essential topic. How do we restore truth to all aspects of our lives. And by the way, being advocate of quantum physics, there are many ways in which I don't believe in pure objective truths. Yes, I believe that there was a Holocaust. I believe that children were murdered at Sandy Hook. I'm talking about consensual reality truths. How do we defeat fake news? So I'm proposing a Zoom conference forum. And let's invite as co-hosts and speakers, anybody who has something of value and importance, and let's create a dialogue and an ongoing dialogue around this. And let's open up this conversation because it is vitally important. And for any listeners, uh, listeners of yours, Paul, please send Paul an email, send an email to me at mel at melschwartz.com expressed your interest in listening or participating, and we'll get in touch with you and announce the beginning of this new venue in which we try to reassert the value of truth and facts. A country in which people cheer that Trump is going to fire Dr. Fauci because they believe Trump understands medicine and science better than the scientists. This is a mentality that will have us race to our destruction faster than global warming. Wow, and count me in. And I would love to invite the listeners myself. But you anticipated where I was thinking about my next question. I thought, I don't believe the powers that be want an informed citizenry. And I don't think they want it different. So how can we change this 
and I see what you're doing. What you're proposing is a ground-up, grassroots, organic movement, yes? Yes, and, 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 a, and a movement in which people are empowered. When, when somebody shares a belief or an opinion with me, which I either instinctively don't agree with or even more to the point, I know it to be false. I won't say to them, you're wrong, because I know that will go nowhere. Nowhere. What I'll say instead is, huh, how did you come to that belief? Someone says, listen, climate change isn't man-made. Wow. How did you come to that belief? I ask an open-ended question to draw them in. And there, if their answer is, well, everyone knows that. All my friends say that. Well, but how do you know it's true? If you keep asking, how do you know it's true? Why do you think it's true? Then we move somewhere. There is a way to communicate in which people can be educated toward their own self-empowerment, toward being more accountable about who we vote for and everything. People can learn, I believe, in possibilities and potentiality of people. That's what my work is devoted toward. But we have to learn to ask different questions. You know, when a Republican charges a Democrat with being a socialist, the Democrat has to respond differently. Well, let's define what you mean by socialist. Yes, I drove on public roads and I used the post office. My kids do go to public, public school. That, that is socialist, but I believe in capitalism. Don't confuse socialist with communist. So we're starting to educate, but we don't do that. And the Democratic Party is just horrible at being able to articulate. Early on in the debates, when they would ask Harris and Biden, are you gonna pack the court? And they begged the question. I wanted access to these people. I said, don't beg the question, but look at the term pack the court. Say, well, if you mean, would we consider expanding the court so it has a center and a balance? That might be a good idea. You see how that depth of communication opens things up. We were taught not to call it global warming because that's scary. So we call it climate change. This is stupid. We need to take charge of communication and reassert a system where there's accountability for truth and consequences for lies. I sometimes wonder if the Democrats are really trying to lose on purpose. They're so bad. It reminds me of seeing the Harlem Globetrotters as a kid and the Washington Generals always seem to lose. What a surprise. And you're right with your framing. I spent the day yesterday riding between polling places on my bike and talking to these hardcore Trump supporters. One lady had been out there for two weeks with her signs, an older lady. So I said, why are you here? I asked a lot of questions. I didn't tell anybody anything, actually. I thought, what's the point? She said, he's worth it. And I said, why? And she said, because he's the last line of defense between us and communism like the Soviet Union had. I know you're chuckling. I thought, I was shocked when she said that. And I said, I thought they were afraid of socialism. And she's like, well, socialism comes first and then communism, and they're really quick. So I said, what's the difference? She couldn't tell me. She couldn't tell me what either one was. She had no idea, but she knew she was afraid of it. And then she said, he is a great businessman. We need a great businessman. And I said, you mean despite six bankruptcies? And she said, well, they all go bankrupt. 
I said, who? And she's all businessmen. I said, no, you'd have no, you'd have literally have no businesses. She couldn't. And then she made some strange thing that he recycles through this. I mean, it was, I mean, I thought I was in an asylum. Another woman said that uh, everybody trying to invalidate who he is. And I said, well, didn't he do that with Obama saying he was born in Kenya? And she said, uh, that's different. I couldn't elaborate again and again. It went way beyond any way that I could rationally speak with anyone. But I felt more inclined to ask and learn. I'm fascinated. I could have done it all day. And everybody was kind and loving. I didn't go there and preach or take a side. It's just more like fact-finding. But I came away thinking that I didn't think those people could be reached, that it was too late. They were too committed and ultimately, when I fished around a lot, all of them had one thing in common. They were terrified of some, you know, abstract thing. And I think it was mostly people of color, mobs of communists and socialists, whatever those were. Uh, some people said they were afraid of people that were anti-fascist. And I said that in World War II, we were anti-fascist. You realize Hitler was. And they looked at me like I'd walked on water. But to me, that's pretty simple. You know, Paul, I can recall, I don't remember who the senator was, a Republican senator during the Obama administration charging Obama with being an anti-colonialist. I, I, I couldn't believe it. And so he's against colonialism and perhaps slavery. So what we need to do is walk into those charges. But here, you, you're describing fear and you're describing ignorance. And I think it was Benjamin Franklin that said, you know, if, if we don't have a well-educated populace, we will lose democracy. And of course, that's why we've had a demagogue here. You know, we have a president who doesn't read. He, he acts in a, in a viscerally reactive way, moment to moment, right? So there's no value for knowledge, is there? No, and I'm just sitting here shaking my head and I read an incredible book for a couple of them, actually, if you're listening and want to dive in a little deeper. There's a great book by John Taylor Gatto on education called Dumbing Us Down. And it may be 105 or 10 pages. If you read that, you'll understand so much. And also a different kind of teacher by him. And if you want to go really deep, read The Underground History of American Education. How this thing came to be. It didn't just grow out of the ground schools and everything like that. And it was designed to have reverent, obedient, bell-trained factory workers who are incapable of thinking, but were smart enough to run the machines. And this was like started over 100 years ago. And I feel like it's zenith is now where you have TV-obsessed people that haven't picked up a book even to move it across the room in, in their entire life or in a decade. And a long time ago, uh, I met a very famous person who was on a TV show and he was very nice, and he told me that half of the people he encountered every single day believed he was the character on the show. It was the show Friends. And they would talk to him as if he was the guy, and they couldn't understand. They were either happy or unhappy with what he was doing. In the beginning, he figured it was kind of a joke, like, hey. But then he, got, he was kind of terrified him. I remember it was over a lunch many years ago. I sat there with my mouth open. And he said these people weren't able to distinguish that it was a television show. These are symptoms that extraterrestrial races will discover years from now when we're gone. 
like 20, 30 years. But you get what I'm saying, though, in all seriousness. Oh, of course. And I agree with you. It does begin with education. You know, in, in my book, I propose that if we had an educational system where students were not graded based upon spewing back pieces of data and information. But imagine an education system where you were rewarded or graded for asking the best questions. Answers don't matter. Questions are powerful because questions direct where our attention goes. We don't ask questions. We don't ask open-ended questions. We ask either or closed questions. When I'm asking the either or question, do you like this or not? Is this good or bad? I can't answer because I've trained my mind not to default into separate compartments or categories because that's made up. And we are taught, we train people, we educate people to think in simplistic, reductive ways of separate compartments. And in that way, we destroy the vitality of intelligence. Absolutely. So we are a particularly undereducated and ignorant country and acting on a visceral reactive level. But look, we all react viscerally. When I encounter racism, I can become impatient, if not hot-headed. I take ownership of that. I don't believe in objectivity. I believe, when I say I don't believe in objectivity, I believe that science is telling us what it's telling and it's arguably true. But objectivity in terms of thinking that we're not subjective, biased people. We are. When I was called for jury duty and I'm sitting on the witness stand being interviewed as a prospective juror, the prosecutor said, can you be objective? Well, I shared with him why I can't because my scientific belief in quantum physics and inseparability being, I said, no, there is no such thing as objectivity. So the judge was curious and he said, Mr. Schwartz, what do you mean? What should we ask? I said, judge, do you have beliefs? He said, of course I have beliefs. I said, well, belief is a bias. We're all biased. What we need to do is own our bias and communicate our bias. And by the way, you should ask a potential juror, can you be in touch with your bias and still feel that you can do a fair job? That's a good question. But imagine if we communicated with each other by sharing our bias as opposed to arguing facts and truths which leave everyone unchanged and unenlightened. Goes nowhere. Why do you have that racist attitude about this group of people, have you ever been in close contact with, or had a relationship with a Latino, with a black person, with a Muslim? No, I never have. Oh, then how do you know what you know? Well, you see, it all starts to break down then. There's a way to communicate differently. And certainly in politics, there's a far more effective way for the Democratic Party and Progressive Party to communicate. Mm, I agree. I think questions are the key. I love the, the way you really framed it to that. Two-part question then. Are you hopeful for the country? 
I know you and I are almost naturally optimistic, but based on what you've seen in your life in the last four years, 10 years, are you hopeful, A, and then B, what will it take to shift this? And I will put an asterisk on that. The one thing that seems positive is the young people in this country, God bless you for listening to, I got a ton of them. They seem to be just a little different. I held signs with them yesterday and did all this stuff, and they are just, they're not buying into the bullshit. What's your take, Mel? Well, instinctively, I look at demographic shifts and young people. And my feeling during the Democratic primaries, and I had these conversations or debates with friends and relatives, uh, where the their belief was choosing a moderate like Biden would speak to the middle and be effective. Yet we see that Biden may have lost Florida in part because notwithstanding how moderate he is, the lies went out that he's a communist and Cuban expatriates voted against him. So coming back to your question, I always considered how many people don't go out and vote because they're are not real progressives running for president. Now, Bernie Sanders was a progressive, no doubt, as was Elizabeth Warren. But I cannot calculate how many people didn't come out to vote, in spite of the enormous turnout, because they felt same old thing, same old politics. So I don't know, but my belief is that you shouldn't calculate. We need authenticity. We need sincere, devout authenticity. So if you are appalled by gross income inequality, if you are appalled by the fact that in this country, one out of five people lives in poverty, let's stop this horseshit about great economy. Great economy? One out of five people is in poverty? It almost sounds like a third world statistic. Yet the stock market is not economy. So. I am motivated by real progressivism in which we look at the horrors of gross income inequality, that hardworking people can work two full-time jobs and not make a living wage. There is just no excuse for that. And the roots, the tentacles in politics are the corporate ownership of politics. Look at the money required to run a campaign. So my hope is that progressives will take life. My hope is that there will be public funding of campaigns. My hope is for a reorienting of education. I am hopeful about a lot of things. And if I were a younger man, I'd be heading down the path in many of those directions. But I need to marshal the time I have available to me, which is why I'm coming back to the invitation to all your listeners to join us in this forum about reestablishing truth and creating a fact and reality based existence because without it we're all going down the drain very quickly and i think we talked about it you're going to generate a zoom link and then i'll share it on all my platforms yes yes i will be working on it and of course, the invitation is anyone who's interested and would like to join with us in co-hosting, 
who has something to say, please get in touch with us and we will send the links out to all of our followers and listeners as well. And let's get this movement started. It's the, it's, it's the backbone of civilization. Amen. I'm going to ask you one more question. I'm going to let you go. What do you do with all this craziness to stay calm, centered, peaceful, you know, in alignment with the infinite quantum field? So your question is assuming that I do do something to stay calm and serene. (laughs) I was trying to lead you that way. (laughs) But I want to be authentic. I I don't want to give the measured response. So honestly, everybody listening, I'm challenged in feeling calm. But you know, part of me doesn't apologize because I feel so passionate about human values. And so my passion might get in the way of calmness. Of course, ideally, a balance would be helpful. So I read. I have intriguing conversations. I take walks. Currently, during COVID, um, we're living out at near the ocean, out in Amagansett, New York, near Montauk. Beautiful topography. Take a bike ride. But the truth is, I'm not calm and I'm not apologetic about it because being too calm at a time like this, for me personally, I'm not speaking to anyone else, but for me personally, feeling calm might, for me, feel like I'm being too indifferent. I need to put the wind in my passion to feel useful. Thanks for being honest. And by the way, if you were here as Mel only once, even if you were an infinite energy system, I think it's exciting to feel everything. I can't imagine seeing kids in cages and being indifferent like a robot, you know, as some spiritual teachers teach or bypassing the emotions or when I lost a loved one, I was devastated. I still miss them. My heart aches, whether I believe they're eternal or not. I miss them. Physical presence. I'm disappointed sometimes in trivial matters. I'm very disappointed in myself sometimes, even though I'm not perfect. And I was really, really saddened by the fact that my country, where I was born, supports this person who I think is just an abysmally horrible figure. But all I know to do is to rise up against it. And I hope to God I would have been that guy in Weimar, Germany, before taken off. I wouldn't want to get caught inside the borders you know, and perish. I don't see the point of that if I had the privilege to leave. But or in the 60s and in the you know 19, late 1950s, I would have wanted to stand up f- for the civil rights movement, even if I got hit in the head. Because what the hell else am I here to do? To pander? Well, I I can tell you that I was out there in the streets creating civil unrest, legal civil disobedience during the Vietnam War, and I am proud of it. Well, I'm glad you were. I probably would have been shoulder to shoulder. So uh, as always, the time flies by. And I, I, again, I'm always left with 50 more questions. I don't want to just keep going and get get you uh, into the late night. I know you've been working since 7 a.m. We'll, we'll get to them the next time around. To be continued if, with your blessing, Mr. Mel. Be well, Paul. Good night, everyone.
I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Possibility Podcast with me, Mel Schwartz. To learn more about this topic and related subjects, please be sure to check out The Possibility Principle, my book at thepossibilityprinciple.com. I always welcome and look forward to your feedback. Please leave a comment at the show notes for this episode at melschwartz.com slash podcast or simply send me an email at mel at melschwartz.com. You can also use that email address if you'd like to be a caller on a future show and have a topic you'd like me to discuss. If you never want to miss an episode, find The Possibility Principle in Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and be sure to hit that subscribe button. You'll get new episodes as soon as they are released. And if you know anyone who might benefit from The Possibility Podcast, please tell them about the show. Thank you for listening and until next time, have a great day and keep summoning up those new possibilities. Thank you.